You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Thank you. Y'all are great. So um, I have to be honest, I'm still really relishing in vacation mode. Like, I feel like we got back from Texas, and then snap, Kai preached, and now I'm preaching. But I'm like, wasn't I just on vacation? Does anybody else feel like that? Who just went somewhere and then came back? Anybody? Right? I just feel like I just kind of want to swim some more, and I can't believe camp is coming, and then school is starting. It's just wild to me. But I love vacation, and I love that Kai's family lives in Texas because if you know me, you know how much I love Chip and Joanna Gaines and their empire, right? And so Magnolia and the silos, that's like Disneyland to me. To me, it's like the happiest place on earth. And every time we go to Texas, obviously what's most important is our family, right? Kai's family. But it helps that an hour away is my Disneyland. And we go every time. God bless Kai. It was so hot. It was so humid, and I'm sure we were one of like 50 people there. There was not very many people there. And we just drank our sweet tea and walked around and ate at the restaurant. You guys, I'm telling you, it's wonderful. I bought a plant. Oh, this is just a side note. I bought a plant, and I posted a story. Who saw my Lottie story? Anybody, right? She lives on my windowsill, a little cactus. And I was so excited because they post, they re, not reposted, but they commented on my story. So, you know, I've arrived. I'm so excited about that. But um, <clears throat> I kind of feel like my family, we could be the spokes family for the Discovery Channel, though. Because we love all of the home renovation shows. We love all the cooking shows, all the baking shows win. Woo, what? Um, we, they, they even have, you know, some, um, like, kid-friendly survivor shows. You know, our kids want to, like, go into the forest and forage and live on their own. Um, but I think the show that we, I feel like we connect with the most as a family is Homestead Rescue. Does anybody know this show? Who's enthusiastic about this show? Because we're going to get real enthusiastic. Thank you, Luke. That's because you're a homesteader in your, in your bones. Yeah. So if you don't know what it is, it, it is a, basically a reality TV show, and it follows um, a, a dad and his, two of his adult children, and they basically rescue homesteads all over the U.S. And the term rescue is not an exaggeration. These situations are dire. Like, I immediately think, why don't you just go rent a house? What are you even doing? Do you know what a chicken is? Do you know that they lay eggs? You know, I'm just like, what's happening? And I mean, these, these homesteads are on the verge of collapse. And like, literally, one of the episodes, their house just caves in on itself. And they're living in a van. And they're like, what do we do? I'm like, is there house insurance for homesteaders? I don't know. But um, just, you know, houses on the edge of mudslides or landslides or, let's see what else, killer slugs. And that is not an exaggeration. It, I thought, are we watching a horror movie now? What is happening? It was a family in Hawaii. They had to build their garden in a boat off the ground because there were these killer slugs that would invade their garden and they could kill you if they got into your system. I thought, you know, that's where I draw the line. I just take me back to the city, take me back to the suburb, right? And so they just hit roadblock after roadblock. And you would think these calamities would be enough. But usually at some point in the show, 
Marty Rainey comes on and he says to his kids, kids, they need water. That's how he talks. He's like, like that. And he says, there's no water source here. They're not going to make it. After all of those roadblocks, like literally not having a place to live, the number one thing that these families need is water. And then they have this exchange of how they've spent hundreds and thousands of dollars on hundreds and thousands of gallons of water. And Marty looks at them and he says, have you ever tried to find a well? Have you ever tried to dig a well? There's water right underneath of you. There's a water source to be found, and we're going to find it. And he doesn't just mean a pond or a lake or even a creek. He means digging down into the earth and finding the source of living, running, fresh water. And you know what? We are no different in our lives, right? We absolutely need to be connected to the source. And it was last September that the Holy Spirit at retreat, actually, women's retreat, which I would like to talk to you ladies about, uh, that the Lord put this idea of, wa of water and wells in my heart. And I just haven't been able to, to let it go. And it's really formed a lot of my thinking, a lot of what I've been um, believing and navigating and, and just setting my gaze to. I read a lot. I read John 4 a lot. And so as we, as we grapple with this, I want, I'm inviting you to look at your own lives. Like eyes wide open kind of a, of a, of a moment. Not where am I going to go to lunch or who am I going to hang out with afterwards? I know that what's on my mind is I got to get Miles ready for camp. But I'm trying, I'm laying that down. <laughs> and I'm saying let's be here, let's be present, let's hear what the living water wants to say. And, you know, everything around could be going pretty well, right? Really, really simple. And I hope so. I hope you came in here walking, walking in encouraged and blessed. But if we're not connected to the source, then all of that other stuff, it doesn't really matter. Our blessed, polished lives, it doesn't matter unless we're connected. You agree with that? All right, so we're going to pray just one more time. God, I, I receive and I love that prayer, God, that I would get out of the way and that you would speak today. Lord, I love John the Baptist prayer that I would decrease and you would increase. God, because we don't need Annette's words, we need your words, Jesus. The living water, the source that never runs dry. So would you come and would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be reading in John 4. So if you guys want to open your Bibles, we have a culture of loving God's word. It shapes us. It transforms us. So if you want to open it digitally or if you need a Bible, there's some back by Caitlin. You can take that home with you. But when you are at John 4, say, I'm going to watch Homestead. Just kidding. You don't have to say that. <laughs> yeah, you got to find it. It's a great show. They're believers too, by the way. They are really cool people. All right, we're going to start in 4, uh, verses 1 through 9. And it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria, 
called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For, the, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So I want to start by painting a backdrop for you about where we're going. What we're going to see is that there's a place, there's a problem, there's a person, and there's a purpose. So the place, this takes place in Samaria and in the town of Sychar, which is the place of Jacob's well. The place then presents a problem. Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. They were half Jewish, half Gentile, hated, loathed, looked as less than in every way. So much so that Jews wouldn't even take this route of travel. They wouldn't even pass by Samaria. But Jesus had to go this way. I love that the scripture says it that way. And we're going to see a person. And it's here that we're introduced to a woman. She's also a Samaritan. So at this time of history, the odds are already stacked up against her. And in many ways, they're going to continue to stack up against her as the story unfolds. And the other person is Jesus. And because Jesus is there, there's a purpose, right? This woman had a simple purpose. She needed water. But she had a history in this town. Women usually went earlier. But this woman, she had to go at an obscure time. But this was a longstanding appointment in Jesus' agenda. Remember what it says? He had to go this way by Samaria. It wasn't an accident. He purposed to be there alone at this particular hour, needing a drink, having sent his disciples away. So before we go any further, I want to invite you to engage with this text from a personal point of view. Are you ready? There's a place right here, right now. There's a problem that there are wells that we consistently go to. We try to draw from these wells in our life that offer momentary reprieve. They satiate for just a while. They offer comfort for a moment, but then it dries up. But good news, there is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he's here. And he has a purpose. There is a purpose for why you walked through these doors today. There's a purpose for you if you're watching online. There is a purpose. And Jesus means to encounter you. He means to encounter me. So if you're ready, let's do it. So we're going to read from John 4, 10 through 15. And it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, and as did his son and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
and the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Guys, summer in Arizona is a great object lesson for thirst, right? So I want you right now just to think, just get real cozy. And then I want you to think of a time when you were the most thirsty. Like you just couldn't stand it. You were like, I just need water. Does anybody have a story like that? Anybody? Yes. Okay, Luke, you're shaking your head. I think we might be thinking the same story, okay? So we were on a missions trip uh, in Macedonia one summer. And I will never forget this trip for a lot of reasons. Uh, Luke and Lindsay were on this trip before they were Luke and Lindsay. Nobody thought they would be Luke and Lindsay, but we're so glad they're Luke and Lindsay, right? Okay, yes, it was a good time. They were leaders and they were such a good team. It was so cool. So Luke and Lindsay, now you are Luke and Lindsay. How many times can we say that? Okay. <laughs> so Macedonia, we were asked to help clear a field where they had set up a giant circus tent and this tent was going to be a church. So about this field, it was a dump. Like I'm not being rude, I'm not being judgmental, it was a literal dump. There was, the ground underneath the dirt was, was debris and the city just decided to cover over it and to let the really poor people live there. So there were these makeshift houses, uh, oddly enough, mansion-looking houses on the dump. I thought, well, I guess they're homesteaders. That's it. That's what they are. They're homesteaders on the dump. So um, it just incredibly poor. So we get dropped off in, in this field, and there's weeds up to our torso. This field is huge. It is not small. It is large. I'm think, imagine with me a circus tent, Okay. Um, and we're also tasked with building an outhouse. Have you ever built an outhouse? <gasps> okay, we'll have some comrades. Okay, thank you. Okay, we'll talk. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's my call to who's ready to go overseas. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so we, we, we got here and we were like, let's do our task. We're ready. But this was before it was cool to carry water bottles. Where's my water bottle? See, I didn't even know where it was. It, this, this is a trend. This is not something that we did. I don't know if you know that. It wasn't funny or like a place to put stickers. You just didn't carry water bottles around. And uh, to our demise, we were so thirsty. We drank all the water that we brought. And I remember this scene. It was like midday. And you could see people coming in from where they were working. They were just like, uh. And so we said, hey, can you, several students, just go into town. You, we can see the markets from where we're standing. Just go over there, get some water. Easy task. They come back, and we're like, oh, thank you for the water. They, we open the water. We all start putting it to our mouths. You guys, it is warm, bubbly, seltzer soda water. I mean, I have a more refined palate now for LaCroix and, you know, Waterloo. But that almost made me throw up, right? It was the disappointment you feel. <laughs> this, this, the, the shattering sense you feel in your body when all you want is cold water, or not even cold, just tepid, but water, and then you're assaulted. Your tongue is like literally assaulted by bubbly hot water. You guys, I'm passionate about this. 
as you can tell, so we said, okay, preach it, it's all right. So we said, hey, you students, you're going to go back and get some water. But you're going to say this. You're going to say in Macedonian, water without gas, which is, I'm going to attempt it, negazarina voda. Okay? Negazarina voda. When you go to Macedonia, you're welcome. Because Europeans also don't believe in ice. I don't know why, but they don't believe in ice, and I just disagree. Okay. If you ever go to Kosovo, it's uipagas, water without gas. What would it be in Spanish? Water without gas. Agua sin gasa. I'm saving all of you from a horrible experience. Okay. <laughs> so they came back, and they looked really disheveled, and they had a much more complicated task than we thought, but they had water. And we were revived, and we could work again. And Lindsay and I were recounting, because I didn't want to exaggerate. This is all true. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, verified. Um, we just got dropped off. Like, <laughs> we just got dropped off in the middle of the dump and then didn't know where our missionary was for a very long time. Drinking cold water somewhere, he probably was. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but then, you know, also we don't remember eating. But that tells you how much, how much more thirsty we were than hungry because we don't even know if we had food. But I know some of you might be thinking, there's never been a time I've been that thirsty, Annette. You're very dramatic. So you can borrow my story if you need it. But how about in your spirit? How about in your soul? I know that there has been many a moments like that for me. Just times when you were so thirsty for something to bring reprieve, something to satiate, a longing. Or maybe we don't know when we're thirsty. I don't know if you know this, but that's actually a medical condition, and it's really scary. Because these people are constantly in dehydration, and they don't know they're thirsty. My medical friends, I'm going to say it wrong, adespesia? Adespesia. I'm just looking at my medical people. But it's a medical condition. Can you imagine not being able to know when you're thirsty? So in our spiritual life, if we can't recognize when we're thirsty, it's detrimental. And that's what Jesus is doing here because he's kind. He's alerting this woman to the thirst that she's unable to quench alone. And so many times, friends, we equate this story to an evangelistic story. Like, man, people, my friends that don't know Jesus are the women at the well. But men and women in this room, we are the woman at the well. We are. And as seasoned as we may be in our lives walking with the Lord, until we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be the woman at the well. And if we truly grab a hold of this reality, then we're going to know how to invite others to see their deep thirst as well. And Jesus, man, he's so gracious. He just reveals the depths of who he is with something so mundane as water, but so critical as water. And we take water for granted in our Western world, do we not? We just raised money for our friends in Botswana. For this thing that we take for granted, we can walk in that room, turn on water, let it run for as long as we want. And our friends in Botswana, they're desperate for living, running fresh water so that their communities can thrive. 
And that is who we are in the spirit. If we recognize our need and we don't take for granted the water, the access that we have to Jesus, then we'll recognize when there's desperation somewhere. Because he is the living water. If you want to open your Bible to Isaiah 55, it's just a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus as our Savior. Um, the preceding chapters especially, they're, they're building up to this, this picture of Jesus. And in chapter 55, we hear the heart of God that all would come to the fountain that never runs dry. It's a bit of a long chapter, but hang with me. Let it just minister to you. He says, come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear to me and hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And then if you'll skip down to six through seven. But here's the caveat. This is what's important. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon such invitation to salvation. And I was, as I was writing, you guys, something really unique and wonderful and supernatural happened. I had this instrumental music playing, um, and then a random Bon Iver song came on. And I was like, why would this song come on? And it caught my attention because I heard these lyrics, and I think they're going to be up there. It says, well, I, well, I've been twisting to the sun and the moon, and I needed to replace. The fountain in the front yard is rusted out. All my love was down in a frozen ground. And I was like, what? So I immediately pulled up the lyrics. And it's a really sad song, actually, about gambling on love and losing. And the stakes are high. And man, isn't that the truth? Right? Every other love we go to, every other fount we go to, it's going to break our hearts. And it's going to leave fountains rusted. And it's going to leave ground frozen and inaccessible. But Jesus, the living water, says that everyone who's thirsty, every person, and I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you come from, your race, your ethnicity, your background, your socioeconomic status, man or woman, everyone who is thirsty, which is everyone is welcome to come. But what will you do with the water? And this is what Jesus is asking this woman. See, it's, it's one thing for Jesus to show us that we're thirsty, right? Like, you know, the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Or in my house, it's you can find and fill and give a kid their water bottle, but you can't make them drink. They can come in from outside red-faced and, like, dirty and sweaty. And you're like, here, have some water. It's like, no, I have much more important things to do. I have to get my Legos. And you're like, I can tell you need water, right? But, but it's, it's so impossible sometimes to recognize when we're thirsty. And I can't help but think of the shepherd in Psalm 23 because it says that he brings us and he lays us down in green pastures. And then... 
he brings us beside still waters. So then we have this picture of Jesus the shepherd saying, let's quiet you down a little bit. Lay here in the green pastures. And then let me show you that there's some water. There's water for you. It's like this holy setup. And he's really good at it. Jesus absolutely sets us up. Like the woman at the well. And I know I've been set up like this. And I know it's a very familiar story. But man, there is some discourse that's really uncomfortable in this, in this encounter. We cannot breeze through it. So this woman says to him, sir, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty or have to come back to draw this water anymore. So here's my question. All right, is everybody with me? Is she sincere? Is she single-minded? Or is she being sarcastic? Sincerity is she's like, okay, I, uh, please give me this water with humility, right? Please give me this water. Or is she being single-minded, like, hook it up. I get the stank eye every time I walk through this town. Every time I come to this well, it has to be at horrible hours. If you got what I need, go ahead and give it to me. I'll take it, right? Single-minded, like, I just want what Jesus has, even if it doesn't change my life. Or is she being sarcastic, like, sure, living water, I wish I wasn't out here by myself. He's a weirdo, you know? Like, is he being sarcastic? But either way, here's the good news, is that she has been engaged by Jesus, and he'll work with any attitude that we throw at him because he's fully sincere, and he's single-minded, and he's not sarcastic, but he is sovereign, and he is superior. And he says to her, go get your husband. He says, go get that thing that keeps bringing you to this well full of shame, full of guilt, keeps you entangled, keeps you isolated, keeps you hidden. Go get it. And this is where Jesus' fierce love begins to go deep because what he's doing, he's digging. He is digging, and it's uncomfortable, but he's intent upon it. He said, there is a well in this woman of living water that leads to eternal life, and I'm not going anywhere until she sees it. Verses 16, it says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And as I was reading this this morning, I had this thought of, I don't want you to get the picture that I, that I think we all go to these terrible wells to drink from. This woman wanted relationship. She wanted companionship. She wanted to be married. She wanted to have a husband. She didn't want to live in shame. Friends, her desire was not wrong. That well, a drink from that well is not wrong. But if it's not connected to Jesus and connected to his heart for us, man, we get it all kinds of wrong, right? And this is where the single-mindedness of Jesus overcomes the single-mindedness of this woman. She thought she was just coming for water, but he intended for an encounter. 
And still she tries just one more evasive move, right? She doesn't answer him. He digs really deep. He hits something. He hits some hard ground. And she's like, whoa, hmm. And then this is what she says. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She simply tries to change the subject. We're very good at that. I am very good at evasive maneuvers. I am not a pilot, but in a dogfight, we just watch Maverick. So in a dogfight, you know what I mean? That's me. Look at me. I'm so agile. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but I am very agile if I want to avoid something. I think we all are. You know, even just this week, I can think of so many things. Or we say things like, man, I'm, I'm not a really patient person, but at least I don't do, do what so-and-so does. Or, you know, I'm not gossiping. I'm just venting. Um, these are all things I've done. I'm not pointing fingers. You know, like, well, at least I'm not yelling at my kids like so-and-so does or something if my heart posture is not right, you know. But here's, here's what Jesus really wants to do. She was trying to redirect, and he was trying to lead her to repent. And that's our invitation, that we would go from redirection to repentance. And I'm sure this woman was just thinking, I just wanted to get water. But here's what happened. Jesus is digging, digging, digging. Something is, there's a drop of water down there. Have you ever seen a well being dug? Something bubbles up. Something bubbles up. So she leans in. He really, he really hit a tough spot, but she leans in. And, and he says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, your, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, this doesn't happen very much in the Gospels. Jesus is very selective with who he says he is. And to this woman who is an outcast, who is a social leper, he says to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. And this is where worship and repentance come together in a beautiful way. Repentance means that we turn away, but it also means that we turn towards Jesus in worship and in adoration. See, you can't take your eyes off of something like, oh, that's sin. I'm just going to take my eyes and then wander and be like, what am I going to put my eyes? What well am I going to go to now? That's not as bad as that thing. We have to turn our gaze towards Jesus. We hear Kai talk about this all the time. It's one of my favorite things that when he invites us into, he's, he's saying, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but this is what real repentance of a child of God looks like. We turn away. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, 
come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town, and they were coming to see him. She left her jar, but her mind, her focus, her attention was fully on Jesus. And I always thought she leaves because she's embarrassed because the disciples come back. She's like, okay, well, that was a good encounter. I'm out of here. I don't think so. I think she was like, I got to go tell other people. This man literally knew everything I did. I can't even imagine what that must be to be face-to-face with Jesus that way and to your past literally disintegrate in front of you to the degree that you are going to run to the town that has chastised you, avoided you, criticized you, hated you, despised you, to run back to that place and say, let me tell you about a man who I met who told me everything I ever did. That's the power of God. And I think she left that jar. She left that thing that was so symbolic of what used to be, old idols, old addictions, old habits, old beliefs, and she ran in her new life to that town. And those people could have reminded her, but that water was in her. They saw something different. They could have been like, we're not going to believe her, but she was carrying the name of the Messiah, and she was carrying water that could not satiate anything else, but, or excuse me, this water that was ready to satiate, and she brought it with her into that town. You guys, that's supernatural. And it flooded the streets. And then it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And you know what? They knew everything she ever did too. But when Jesus is part of the scenario, it doesn't matter. It says, so when the Samaritans came to see him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's not any longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is intended, or excuse me, that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And this is where this story goes from just a metaphor to me. That this story should take on some skin and some muscle when we leave these doors. Because we've established that we are the woman at the well, right? We're the ones that Jesus purposed to meet today. Because how ludicrous, guys, for us to come here and waste time meeting every Sunday if we don't actually believe that Jesus means to encounter us. It's foolish. You could spend your time going to brunch, going out of town. I'm serious. If we don't believe that we're going to be encountered here, then it's foolish. And I, I'm certain I have other things on my mind when I come. But man, I am preaching to myself. It has to be an encounter. And I think as believers, we get stuck here. We think, well, you know, I, I'm saved. I've, I'm not doing anything really bad. You know, I've already been filled with the living water. But let me ask you, do you still drink water? Every day, how many times do you satiate your thirst? How many times are we pulled to thirst after things of this world, things of the flesh, ego-building endeavors, pride-promoting moments, relationships that are poisonous, secret addictions that leave us empty? We are always thirsty. But what are you going to do with that thirst? 
And like I said earlier, not all thirst is bad. Not all wells are bad. But if you are walking down that road to that well and you don't see a figure there waiting for you, go find another well. If Jesus isn't there, it doesn't matter how good it is. If Jesus isn't there, find another well where Jesus is. And we all go to these wells that eventually dry up. I know it. I do it. But what I love about Jesus is how he invites this woman. I said this earlier. This social leper to carry what he carries, to be about his father's business with him. He gives himself. And he entrusts her with his name. He says, I'm the Messiah. And it's really earth shattering in this place in history for this to happen, for this transaction. Because he knows that this woman with a very checkered past is about to use his name, and he's thrilled about it. We don't even, re- I'm not reading the, the, the encounter with the disciples and when they come back, but basically they, Jesus sends them for food. They come back with food. They did the task, and they say, Jesus, you need to eat. And he says, I don't need to eat. I'm doing my father's business. Basically, he's pumped. He's like, man, if you knew the, what just happened, I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm the living water, giving out living water. I don't even need to eat. That's incredibly beautiful of Jesus. And it's here that this well of encounter became a place of worship. See, it's the woman just thought, I wonder if she was like the Rolodex of her mind. What can I change the subject to? Ah, worship. I'm just going to throw that out there to get this guy off my case. But I love that Jesus just comes in, he wraps it up all wonderful, and he talks about worship. And if Jesus is the living water, then our part in this story is that we keep coming back to this place of worship. The woman had to keep coming back. But man, I bet that well changed forever. What used to be a reminder of shame, a reminder of how she wasn't allowed to come, is now a place of worship where she says, this is where I met Jesus. This is where I come and I draw water. I come with all the ladies. I come in the morning. I come in the I come whenever I want to. Because Jesus changed my life here and I'm not afraid anymore. And I'm not that old person. And that is amazing to me. Because true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And I know King Jesus demands a lot. But let me tell you why. Because his superiority is our salvation. Because he's superior is because is why we're saved. Because if Jesus were lackluster, would we believe him? If he said, you can have some of this water or you can go over here, that's fine. What would we do with that? Could we trust his character if Jesus didn't demand that we pick up our cross and follow him? If he didn't demand that he's the only way. If he said, I'm a way, so you can look at that way and that way and that way. No, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Because he's superior. He's our salvation. And we need what Jesus has to offer in order to live and to satiate and to fill us. And he entrusts us, and he becomes that bubbling spring of living water that's inside of us for eternal life. And at the beginning of this exchange, this woman is single-minded. She's like, just let me fill my jar so I can carry it back. Your living water will be fine. Go ahead, fill it. But by the end, it's an act of worship. 
And she just leaves that jar. And a lot of Christians, I think, we, we go back and forth and we see Jesus this way. We don't, I don't, I won't put words in your mouth, but I don't always want the full expression of his lordship in my life. We want to have some kind of control. We don't want to fully submit. We want Jesus to work alongside of our other sources, but not be the source. So why does all of this matter? Well, just a, a practical example. I, I've been really impacted by the last two um, sermons that Kai has shared with us, Killing Idols and then Power Over Weakness. If you haven't listened to those, not just because I love him, but man, those messages are powerful. They carry something. In a culture of idols, in a culture that is confused about power, we need it. And I didn't realize that every time God showed me this on vacation because I can't control anything in another person's house. I can't control my kids. My kids are wonderful, but you know what I mean. I can't control my kids. And you know what the number one thought when I would, when I would pray? Annette, you got to kill that idol. You want to be in control. You're only okay when everybody's okay and everybody's eating their food and nobody's spilling anything and nobody's scratching Oma's coffee table. I'm, I'm joking, but it was real. Like, you are not in control. I saw a meme that was like, oh, vacation. Well, hold on. Let me see if I can say it right. I wasn't planning on saying it. Vacation. Uh, it was funny. I'm not going to say it right. I'll find it. Tell you about it. It's good stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I literally, the Holy Spirit was like, you can listen right now, Annette, or you can just brush this away and just think, this is mom life. This is what happens. It wasn't just mom life. It was me. Coming to the well of like, if I can just get a drink of control, I'm going to be okay until the next day. If I can just get a drink of control, I'm going to be okay until the next day. Not true. Not true. Because what I needed was the living water to rush through me and to empower me to be the parent on vacation that I needed to be. And you know what? This is how his power is made perfect in our weakness. When we bring these things into the light. And this is the only way that worship becomes a lifestyle and not an experience. And I love worship. You guys know I get all kinds of rowdy up here. But this doesn't matter at all. If worship is just an experience and it doesn't transform our lives into a lifestyle of worship, I will throw that piano away. That's a new piano. But it doesn't matter. If it doesn't translate and change and transform into a lifestyle of worship. This is where he becomes Lord. And this is where surrender is cultivated. And our longings and our deepest thirst should, should point us to Jesus. Amen. You guys, others are going to be impacted because of the wells that we draw from. Parents, your kids are going to be impacted because of the, wall, the wells that you draw from. Kai. This church is impacted because of the wells that you draw from. Teachers, U of A students, these wells that you draw from are going to make a difference in people's lives. So what are you going to do with this water? And as we move into a time of, of response, I would encourage you to let Jesus encounter you because he wants to. He's committed to and I think an important place to start is repenting. And again, if that word frustrates you, 
That's not my heart. Because you are a son, you are a daughter who is not called into captivity, but you are free to gaze on Jesus, to turn from whatever, whatever you got your gaze on, and to gaze on Jesus. Because he's ready to fill you with his living water again and again, and to be your source for your whole life. It's time to put off these old habits. In the Old Testament in Jeremiah, there's a, a warning that we read. And this is what it says. It says, for my people, sorry, Jeremiah 2.13. And it says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, what people used to do is they would build these, these bowls and they would put them into the ground to catch rainwater. But essentially, they were, it was standing water that became putrid. It would get disease in it. And essentially, eventually, it would break. And all of their efforts to collect water, broken. See, if you hear anything today, hear this, that nothing we build can hold what we need. Nothing we build with these hands can hold what we need. The cisterns of our lives will eventually crack open. But you are created to carry the living water, fresh, bubbling, living water that's within you that brings eternal life. And before we take communion, would you just join me in a time of, of reflection? Luke, if you want to come up and play. A time where we just give way to the living water. And we're believing that he'll come and that he'll flush what doesn't please him and isn't serving us. And as we take communion, let's remember that offering our bodies is an act of worship. In Corinthians it says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Or in Romans, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And remember Jesus' words that, that worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And it's pretty simple. Sometimes we just got to tell the truth about where we are. And then God's spirit, he's so faithful. He's so gentle. And if you see anything in this narrative, man, I hope you see the grace and the goodness of our shepherd. This woman's story was wild. And he had no problem sitting with her, communing with her, being with her. He said, we're going to talk about the truth, but I'm going to show you how my spirit wins out he's superior right it's a powerful place when our thoughts and our emotions are engaged and brought under the submission and the transformation of the Holy Spirit and if you want that then we're going to take communion together we're going to reflect thank you for listening if you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.